0: It's time to play like a jet with your host Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Drops the throw, steps up, floats a bomb up the right seam, looking for Anderson. He's got it. They're not going to catch him. He's going to go the distance. Touchdown! Sam Darnold dials it up to Robbie Anderson, 92 yards. And up will take it in. It's <laughs> a pick six and a touchdown. Fell into the middle of that line.
1: From the TOJ Digital Studios, this is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And it's Wednesday, which means it's time for Midweek with Manish Manish Mehta of the New York Daily News. Hey, Manish, three wins in a row for the New York Jets. Can you believe it?
2: Yeah, it's uh, it's unbelievable, right? It's you know they're on a on a hot streak. It's Thanksgiving week. They're playing a team that hasn't won. All season, uh, yeah, I, this is probably the high point of Adam Gase's tenure to this point. But uh, they're playing well. You know, uh, we talk about uh, you know the, the level of, of opponent, and clearly the Raiders were a step up over the Giants and the Redskins. Uh, I, I don't think the Raiders are anything more than a middling team, but uh, you know they they are better than the, the previous two opponents. And the Jets throttled them. You, you have to give them credit. I thought. Adam GaSe caught a, a terrific game. I thought the execution on both sides of the ball was great. Uh, Greg Williams continues to do uh, an awesome job on the other side of the ball. And um, the outside of the, f- the long field goal that Fick and missed, uh, I thought specials was uh, you know pretty good for the most part. So just uh, you know the kind of performance you want to see if you're a Jet fan, uh, beating a, a, a team that's a step up in class from those previous couple opponents and beating them convincingly. So. Uh, you know, when I look at that game, wasn't a perfect game by any stretch of the imagination, but there were so many good things, uh, you know, in all three phases that you, you need to, be, you should be encouraged about if you're a Jet fan, if you're a Jet player, Jet coach, you know, entering this game in Cincinnati.
1: Manish, I got to ask this. You know the deal; it's coming. How are we feeling about Adam Gase right now?
2: <laughs> well, I thought Adam Gase had his best game uh, as a coach. Uh, you know, maybe I'm wrong about that. I'm just looking at, you know, from. An outsider's perspective. But, uh, you know, I thought he really pushed all the right buttons. Uh, not to say that he didn't try to push all the right buttons in, in previous games, but everything kind of hit. I know that everyone kind of wants to look at that flea flicker, and, and that was fine. You know, uh, coaches call flea flickers all the time. But the play that I was the most impressed with was actually the one yard touchdown to Ryan Griffin. Now, I watched that play, I don't know, probably a dozen times uh, in, in the past 24 hours, and it it looks like it's a sprint right option, which is a play that Adam Gase has used over and over. It's a play they used in Denver in, uh, uh, with Peyton Manning. It's a play that really goes back to Bill Walsh, uh, maybe even precedes Bill Walsh. But the, you know, those Joe Montana teams uh, did a sprint right option inside the 10 yard line, and it's exactly kind of like what it sounds like, where the quarterback takes the takes the snap, you know, just bolts to his right, and then there's a there, there's an option to either throw it to Uh, a guy who's running an out, or there's a quasi-pick play where you can maybe throw it to the receiver who's making an in-cut. And in this particular case, those two guys were Jamison Crowder and I I believe Robbie Anderson. And Crowder was the guy who went in motion. And I thought that, uh, frankly, that that Darnold was looking for him first. And if there was a little bit more room, a little bit more daylight between the defender and Crowder, uh, I I think that Darnold would have thrown it to him. Now, I asked Case after the game, and Darnold after the game as well, if that was by design throwing it back to to Griffin, and they both said yes. So I, I kind of think that it was the second option. Uh, regardless, it was built into the play, uh, whether it was the first or second option. It was, if it was the first option, it was an absolutely brilliant call because it broke every tendency that uh, Gase and the Jets had shown in that area. Or, and we even saw it in Washington. I don't know if it was a sprint right option in Washington, but Darnold did sprint right and threw it to Robbie Anderson for that six-yard touchdown. So we've seen that play on film uh, over the first couple months of the season, even in the preseason. They used that, uh, I believe, in Atlanta. So uh, if you're Paul Gunther and you know, you're know you seeing that play develop, uh, you're automatically thinking that Darnold's going to let it fly, probably throw it to Crowder uh, on the out. But uh, you know he didn't, and he, he made that either the quick decision or the predetermined decision to throw it back to, to Griffin, who was wide open. He could have crawled into the end zone. I really liked that play. It was only a one-yard gain, the shortest gain, ironically, of of, uh, of the game. But just something that I thought was really creative. And if indeed Griffin was the first option, it really broke from tendency because everything about that play looked like it was going to be a sprint right option, and, and Gase kind of broke from that. So you know, kudos to him. Uh, I thought he did a really good job, and uh, you know, as you know, and as anyone who's heard this podcast knows, I've been extremely critical of Gates, and I still think there's a lot of things that I need to see uh, or hear behind the scenes that I haven't seen or heard yet. But just in terms of play calling, uh, as I've said all along, he's got a lot of good ideas, and you know, all those ideas or virtually all those ideas worked uh, against Oakland, so he deserves credit for that without a doubt.
1: For the record, I'm with you. I think Gates deserves praise here, but I also think that there should be cautious optimism because there are still plenty of warning signs that we've seen from his tenure in Miami and from the time that he's already been here at the Jets, especially in terms of management, more so than play calling. I think play calling was always the secondary worry with Adam Gase. It was always more about being a manager. Hopefully, he's able to learn from what he did wrong previously and grow as a head coach Fingers crossed right now with this three-game winning streak intact. Big part of that winning streak, as you just mentioned, was Ryan Griffin. He signs a three-year extension with the Jets a couple of days ago. Really like this move myself. He's developed some really nice chemistry with Sam Darnold. Gives the Jets a little bit of insurance with the injury to Christopher Herndon. Plus, he had that suspension, so if he gets suspended again, he can miss even more time. Never a bad thing to be stocked well at the tight end position. You've now got Trevon Wesco, who can block. He's the fourth-round rookie. You've got Griffin. You have Herndon coming back. The Jets shouldn't have to worry about tight end. I like the fact that they were proactive here, Manish, and they locked up a guy that fits this system well. Talk to me a little bit about the Jets' line of thinking and Griffin's line of thinking because he's playing really well. He could have hit the free agent market and maybe cashed out a little bit. I guess he likes it here.
2: Yeah, you know, it, it surprised me. Uh but if you look at the deal, it's 4 million million guaranteed, uh, you know, over a 3 year period. Uh you know, there's incentive-based clauses in there as you would imagine that can get into double digits, double digits, you know, 10 plus million. But uh it, you know, it it was a not a hefty investment by any stretch of the imagination. So, you know, in that respect, I thought Joe Douglas did a, you know, made made a smart move. Uh I probably would have waited uh until uh, I don't know, mid December, late December. Uh, maybe I'm splitting hairs. Maybe I wanted to see a little bit more of a sample size, but uh, regardless, it, it wasn't a massive investment. So uh, I thought it made sense, uh, as you said. You know, they have a pretty good stable of tight ends here next year. If you assume that Chris Herndon comes back with Herndon Griffin, and then Wesco, who's developing as well, uh, from his perspective, I think it made a lot of sense. Uh, I guess he could have kind of, you know, seen how the rest of the season went and. And taking a look at what the market would have been for him, but remember, this is a guy who was who was cut because of an off off the field transgression, and uh, he's been a nothing but uh, you know a model teammate, a guy that Sam Darnold can trust, and that is probably the most important aspect of it. Uh, yes, physically, you know, he's got great hands, as we know, as the marketer marketing people know uh, that that's you know obviously uh, you know mandatory when you're playing you, you know, if you're a tight end who's going to be relied on catching you you got to actually catch the ball but uh just the idea of uh developing a rapport and a trust with your quarterback makes all the difference and and he's playing extremely well five tight touchdowns for a tight end is the most uh for any jet tight end since Dustin Keller did it in back-to-back years in 2010 and 2011 so uh we still got uh, another month or so left in the season he's probably going to break that record and uh You know, again, because of what the actual financial investment was, I think it makes a lot of sense. It's not like they broke the bank, offered him, uh, you know, a ton of guaranteed money. He's a reliable presence. Uh, He offers insurance uh, for next year and beyond if Chris Herndon is healthy, because you would assume that Chris Herndon would assume the role that uh, he was destined to have, which is to be, you know, a major contributor in the passing game and. And I think he will when he when he comes back next year. But I, I think it made a lot of sense for both sides. But uh, you know, I'd be lying if I told you I expected it. But it made a lot of sense. And just to circle back, Scott, really quick, uh, what you said about Gase, I completely agree with you. Uh, uh, you know, the larger questions and concerns are about leadership and management uh, and you know dealing with the things that a head coach needs to deal with uh, behind closed doors. Uh, the jury is still out on that. Uh, in terms of play calling, you do want to be fair to Adam because uh we're you know having a weekly podcast evaluating uh, each game as it goes and uh if you take a snapshot uh, of this moment in jet in the jet season this game in particular uh, he really does deserve credit cuz i thought he did a really good job uh you know dialing up what needed to be dialed up at the right moment uh but all of that being said uh you know we're not talking about it and we're not praising him if uh you know guys like sam darnold uh and, and the Jamal Adams, uh, you know, bless Austin. You know, guys who made plays don't actually execute. Uh, you know what's being called on both sides of the ball, so it go, it goes hand in hand. But uh, you know, I would be remiss if I didn't say that you know in this particular game that we're discussing, uh, the head coach did a terrific job.
1: Let's talk about the quarterback that the head coach was helping to call plays for. That, of course, is Sam Darnold. Darnold played another excellent game against the Oakland Raiders despite the fact that Rex Ryan still seems to think that Danny Dimes is better than Sam Darnold, I think you're going to have to straighten him out on that, Manish. I said on Twitter that watching Rex Ryan argue with Dan Arlovsky about quarterbacks is like watching a mechanic argue about cars with a guy that doesn't even have a driver's license. Stick to defense, Rex. Stick to defense. But I thought that one of the most impressive aspects of Darnold's game against the Raiders was something you wrote about in the Daily News, Manish. It was something that's kind of boring. The fact that he knew when not to try to make a play, that to me is something that separates an excellent quarterback from somebody who's going to struggle from time to time. Jameis Winston is the perfect example. We've seen Jameis Winston play really well, but then he makes a whole bunch of boneheaded decisions and it brings him back a peg to the point now where the Bucks, after five years, are questioning whether or not he's even going to be the guy going forward. If Sam Darnold can continue to play this way, where he eliminates those big mistakes from his game, he's going to have a chance to be a really, really good quarterback over the next bunch of years. I thought you wrote a really smart piece about that in the Daily News, Manish.
2: It's it's amazing to me, you know, just watching him play the other day. It gets you excited, you know. I, I know it gets me excited, and I'm not, quote-unquote, a fan of the team. Uh, I'm just, uh, you know, I'm an observer, and when I see... Uh, some of the decisions that he made, specifically in the second quarter, he made three just really savvy decisions to not, you know, be a hero and, and not try to, you know, make a dazzling play when it wasn't there. Because if you remember, a week ago he was kicking himself on that failed screen uh, that, you know, that ultimately was picked off. He, he probably could have done that at various points uh, against Oakland, and he didn't do it. And to me, that's growth. And you know, these are things that. And during the course of the game and, and shortly after the game, you probably forget about because you know, those are three incomplete passes. He had, he had, uh, you know, opportunities to you know, take risks and he did take risks and we can get into that uh, a little bit later. But I thought, uh, you know, there was a, I believe it was a first and 10 from midfield. Uh, he had, uh, you know, pressure coming up the middle. He was flushed out right. He ended up throwing it out of bounds and ironically <laughs> hit Jamal Adams on the butt. Uh, which, you know, a lot of people noticed, but that to me, a really smart play because uh, on the next play, Bilal Powell ran for seven yards and then they converted uh, on third down on a play that I'd like to talk about later, uh, just an incredible play that he probably should have run with, but he ended up making this incredible pass to Robbie Anderson, but it was the same drive. Uh, And then the way that drive ended, uh, at least on offense, was a third and 15. You know, he had an opportunity uh, maybe to, to, to take a chance uh, from the Raiders 17, uh, he found pressure coming at him, and he smartly just, you know, heaved it out of bounds, uh, you know, to the right, and, and that led to Sam Ficken field goal. They were in field goal range. He understood where they were on the field. Uh, he didn't try to do something foolish that could have resulted in a turnover, and then ultimately could have resulted in the Jets not getting any points. So that to me was growth. And then on the final drive. Uh, Of that first half, he had another screen pass dialed up on a a third and 15, I think. Uh, They were in field goal range again. They were on the Raiders' 30, and instead uh, this time of trying to force the issue on a screen, he noticed that Deion Jordan had really sniffed out that screen to Le'Veon Bell, and he just dirted it, and that was the end of the play. Now, the Jets did not score because Sam Ficken missed a 48-yard field goal, but he gave his team an opportunity to get three points, and that, to me, matters moving forward. I mean, those are small signs of a kid or not a kid a 22 year old really understanding the position more and he needs to do more of that he needs to do that in cincinnati because that those situations are going to present themselves next week and the week after and the week after and virtually every week of his career so he needs to continue to to weigh the risk and reward element to this and it's so easy for you and me to talk about it three or four days after the fact and and after watching the, the game live and watching the game on tape, but he has to make those decisions in real time, split second decisions. Uh, and it, it goes against every instinct that he has as a competitor. Cause he has shown in his life to uh, playing football, to make something out of nothing, to improvise, to extend plays and make these dazzling throws that we, we all talk about and compliment, uh, you know, dating back to USC. Now, that's part of what makes him so tantalizing as a player. But, uh, Uh, you know, just realizing when, yeah, you know what, on this particular snap, uh, I'm going to, you know, for lack of a better word, I'm going to lose this play. Uh, You know, we're not going to get any positive yards. I'm going to throw it away. We're going to have another opportunity. Uh, Maybe that means another opportunity on this drive. Uh, Maybe it means we punt it, and then we'll have another opportunity on the following drive. But uh, I'm not going to do anything to compound the problem. And it's so hard. You had mentioned James Winston. He has still not grown out of that. It's so hard for someone with an aggressive mindset who has had success with that aggressive mindset to, to curtail that in real time and to understand I can't do this in a split second. And that's what makes it so difficult. And that's why there's that, not that many great quarterbacks on earth. There's only 32 starting quarterbacks, but there's probably only, I don't know, a dozen, you know, quote unquote, great quarterbacks in the world. They, they have that ability to kind of understand when they can take a risk and when they can't take a risk as everything's happening uh, at full speed, and it's you know that that's a trait that comes with time and experience. There's obviously innate ability, but innate ability alone isn't enough for this particular quality uh, of being a, a you know a successful quarterback. Uh, you've got to learn through your mistakes. Sam Darnold has clearly made mistakes in that area in, in the early portion of his career, but uh, you know something tells me that uh, he's the kind of guy who is going to build off of these like small little victories that we saw. Uh, against Oakland in terms of decision making so I expect him again to be confronted with those scenarios against the Bengals and against the Dolphins and against the Ravens and Pittsburgh and and uh, Buffalo to end the season and I think he's a guy who you know understands hey you know what I made some mistakes I I, I'm not just going to tell people that I learned from him I'm going to show people that I learned from him through his actions on the field and uh, that to me is so encouraging because I already You know, have waxed poetic about his physical skills and his mental makeup, but, you know, just like these little elements uh, of growth are so important. And I give Le'Veon Bell credit for mentioning it after the game. Uh, He's the one who unprompted said, you know, these throwaways are signs of growth, and he's exactly right.
1: Manish, that play that you were talking about where Darnold had the easy first down in front of him but threw that ball in between two defenders to Robbie Anderson that ended up being a 31-yard gain, but was obviously a lot more dangerous. You're a big basketball fan, so I'm going to use a basketball analogy here. It would be like if Tobias Harris was at the top of the key for a contested three-pointer while Joel Embiid was standing under the basket all by himself for an easy two-pointer. Harris chucks it up, it goes in. You're happy that it went in, but still, in the future, you'd rather that he dumped it underneath to Embiid because more times than not, that's going to be the more successful play.
2: Yeah, that's a great analogy. It's a fair characterization as well. Adam Gase said as much, Uh, I think he that one of the first things, if not the first thing he said to Darnold uh, after the play was, you know, great, great play. You know, next time, <laughs> probably the safer move would be to tuck it down and run because there was a lot of green in front of him. He, he could have picked up a decent amount of yardage. Uh, you know, I joked the other day that all of that is true. The smarter play would have been to tuck it down and, and run with the ball, but, uh, but then we would have been robbed. We would not have seen what we saw, which was, which was unbelievable. I've seen him do this in, in various forms. Uh, over the past several years, you know, dating back to college even, but the, just the idea of his body moving to the left, his feet and hips not being anywhere in sync, and, and throwing to his right over the cornerback who jumped as high as he possibly could and couldn't get a finger on the ball, and in front of the safety, uh, you know, really in a spot where only like a tall wide receiver could go up and grab it, was just an amazing play. And you're right, more times than not. You don't want that to happen. You want him to take advantage uh, you know, of the space in front of him because he's got wheels. He, he showed that even at different points during this game. It's not as if he didn't run. He did make smart decisions, you know, uh, keeping the ball and running. But that play to me was just – I looked at that play from every possible vantage point. To me, I see Brett Favre, you know, and I don't want to say he's Brett Favre. It's so unfair. He's a Hall of Famer. Uh, you know, I see Aaron Rodgers. I see a little bit of Tony Romo. Uh, all really good quarterbacks. Two of them are going go in the Hall of Fame. One of them, unfortunately, had injuries uh, that would you know keep him from reaching that level. But you know, three just really quality players at the position, and not many players uh, at that position today uh, could make that play. And uh, again, I, there's a, there's a balance there. And we you know we discussed it. Uh, with throwing the ball away. That, that you also have to throw in the fact that you, you when you throw it away when you tuck it in and run, and when you try to make a play like that. You know, later in the game, you know, if this is a, you know, if the Jets are down by five uh, with three minutes to go or something like that, and you know, they need to pick up a decent amount of yards, maybe you take that risk. You know, I, I don't know. I think in different scenarios, a play like that might make sense. But uh, you know, in a vacuum, clearly the smarter play would have been to run the ball. He admitted as much after the game uh, as well. But uh, just a special play by such a talented player. And it just uh, again, I used the word excited. I, I can't help but be excited about Sam Darnold's future, and then by extension, the Jets' future. Because uh, I I just think that you know we're seeing so many great things from a kid who's 22 years old. Uh, he, you know, he's not 24, 25. He's 22. I can only imagine, you know, uh, assuming that he stays healthy and the Jets, uh, you know, improve pieces around him. I can only imagine what kind of player we're going to see at age 25, 26, 27. You know, quarterbacks don't even hit their prime until they're, what, 27, 28, something like that. That's that's six years from now. That'll be six years of experience, and he's done so many good things now. Uh, you know, the ceiling for him is so high, uh, and because of that, by extension, I think the ceiling for the team is really high. But I get excited. When I see a play like that, yeah, I know it's not probably the high percentage play, but I saw enough smart other decisions he made in that game. I see a play like that, and it just makes me think, what is this guy going to be in five or six years? I mean, what kind of difference maker and what kind of threat is he going to be uh, you know, for everybody around the league?
1: Manish, I think we're going to have to have a chat one of these days about what makes a Hall of Fame quarterback because I think there's a very strong case for Tony Romo, who you seem to think is definitely not getting into the Hall of Fame, but that's another topic for another day. A topic for today is the emergence of Le'Veon Bell in the passing game. He was making a lot of plays on Sunday. He had a piece about this in the Daily News. A lot of people were disappointed in the lack of production from Le'Veon Bell. He's still not producing the way that you would hope in the running game. I think a lot of that has to do with the offensive line but finally, getting involved in the passing game in a big way and becoming that major weapon that Jets fans were hoping he would be when he was signed in the off-season.
2: It was encouraging, uh, to say the least. Uh, now, 108 total yards—you uh, know, for a normal back—is a, a pretty good day. Uh, Le'Veon Bell entered this season averaging 128 total yards a game, so he's still not you know where he was uh, in his heyday in Pittsburgh. But clearly, uh, it was it was good to see him. Uh, run the ball a little bit better, only 12 carries, but he topped four yards a carry, believe it or not, for only the second time this season, and that's a head-scratcher considering how deep into the season we are. Uh, I was impressed with uh, Adam Gase using him as a, as a wide receiver, lining up as a wide receiver and then getting him the ball. Now, I know that Gase has said that the plan every week is to try to get him the ball and give him opportunities as a pass catcher, But uh, I thought the first play from scrimmage, he lined up as a receiver. Darnold went to him, a 20-plus yard completion. That kind of set the the tone for the early stages of that game. He only had, I believe it was 17 touches, 12 carries, 5 catches uh, off the top of my head. But I think he had 10 or 11 of those touches in the first two drives. So there was a a heavy dose of Le'Veon as a a pass catcher and a running back in those first two drives that netted points, and I thought that was – Uh, Extremely important. And look, this was a blowout, so you know I can live with the 17 touches. I I think I'd like to see more than 17 touches in a competitive game, but you know in this type of scenario, it's fine. Uh, You know I had spoken to Le'Veon last week about his decision to come to the Jets. It's an obvious question, right? The you know the the team isn't doing particularly well statistically. This is his worst season of his career, And, and he and I actually had a discussion about the Hall of Fame. Uh, you know, I didn't look that closely at Hall of Fame running backs' statistics until after I spoke to him. I, I think it's going to be tough sledding for him. But uh, just like when you look at a, you know, a, a snapshot of a uh, six-year six-year window, something like that, uh, he's one of the best running backs to ever play. Uh, I think there was a reason why he's the, he's the fastest uh, player, fastest running back to get 8,000 scrimmage yards in his career. Uh, part of that is because he missed a bunch of time due to injury and suspension, but. Uh, he clearly, you know, statistically is, is off of where he has been, uh, you know, prior to this season. And, you know, I asked him point blank if he regretted the decision. He said no. You know, he made the decision. It's a decision he's going to, to live with. Uh, I was also impressed when I asked him about not getting traded at the deadline, you know, going to a team that has a, a viable opportunity to go to the Super Bowl. Uh, he, he, he struck me as the anti LeBron James doesn't want to really construct a super team or join a team that has dynamic players. Cause I asked him point blank. I mean, how about the idea of playing with Patrick Mahomes, Andy Reed as your play caller, Tyree kill as a pass catcher, uh, Travis Kelsey, wouldn't that excite you? And uh, he doesn't strike me as a guy that wants to you know, join that type of situation. I think he genuinely enjoys uh, the challenge of turning things around uh, with the jets. Uh, you know, he's optimistic. I think by nature, he's a glass half full guy so he envisions playoffs. Uh, you know, I think, frankly, that uh, you know if the Jets. Not, I think, frankly, I know, frankly, that the Jets would love to move on from his contract next year. It's just a matter of can they find a taker? Uh, will they, uh, meaning the Jets, be willing to absorb part of the contract to make a trade more palatable? Uh, you know, those are questions that I don't have the answer to. Uh, I know that uh, you know Bell isn't seeking any kind of trade. I did ask him about taking a pay cut, though, and I thought he gave me an interesting response, which is, well, when you say pay cut, what are you talking about? And I said, you know, I'm not talking about average per year, and he made it clear to me that average per year, uh, I think it's $14 million, somewhere in that neighborhood, that doesn't really matter to him. You know, he's savvy enough to understand the money in his pocket is the real money, and uh, I don't think he wants you know, to, to have that money taken out of his pocket, given that he did miss a year uh, because he thought he wasn't uh, being valued by Pittsburgh, uh, you know, at, at, at the, at the price that he believed he should have been valued at. And I understand that. I respect that. I, I, you know, I would have taken a different approach, but philosophically, I do understand, you know, his, his, uh, his mindset on that. So I don't think he's going to be willing to, uh, take less than the what, 13 and a half, $14 million that he's, he's owed next year. I think he's got $8 million, uh, base salary. So, uh, whether you know, part of that money comes from the Jets or all that money comes from the Jets, uh, you know, I don't think Bell necessarily would care about that. It's just the bottom line for him is uh, you know, he doesn't want to have less than what he thought he was going to get, whether that's from the Jets or from a combination of the Jets or another team. Uh, but he did make it clear to me that he wants to stay here and he wants to help turn things around. I just think from a business standpoint, uh, you know, from an organizational standpoint, uh, the notion of being locked into that much money – uh, for a running back uh, with this general manager is not preferable. So it'll be an interesting offseason, you know, uh, to see how much the Jets are willing to absorb, to see if there's a, you know, a trade to be made. But uh, from his perspective, I thought he's handled himself exceedingly well, you know, like a professional, like a team guy. You know, there's a couple moments after a couple games in which he was frustrated uh, and uh, didn't talk to reporters. You know, I, you know typically – you know, as a reporter, you want your better players, your best players to, to be accountable. But by and large, he's been extremely accountable, extremely honest, uh, you know, as evidenced by how he feels about the drug testing policy. Uh, I thought, you know, I think that he's handled himself like a pro. He's been a really good influence in the locker room, uh, a positive force for everybody in there. And I think you can just kind of see that when you're in the locker room in terms of how he interacts with his teammates. Uh, You know, from that perspective, it was a really good signing. I just think from the financial perspective, you know, locking in that kind of money uh, for a running back is not what the head coach wanted, and it's not what this new general manager wants.
0: While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress, and that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill.
1: Play like a Jet. Play like a Jet. Manish, let's talk injuries. Before we get to the injuries on the Jets, I want to talk about an injury that was caused by the Jets. Hunter Renfro, the wide receiver from the Oakland Raiders, the rookie who's actually stepped up and had a really nice season out of Clemson. He suffered some really nasty injuries at the hands of the Jets, mostly because of Blessing Austin and Henry Anderson. One tough kid to keep playing, though. He had a punctured lung and a broken rib
2: unbelievable he was down for a while after he took a shot from uh bless austin on an incompletion and initially i thought that he broke his rib and punctured his lung on that play I did a little digging uh it turns out it's a little unclear uh you know what which injury he actually suffered on that play but i think he suffered both maybe one on the bless austin hit and then another later in the game because even though he was down for a while after the Austin hit he he did come back and play. He caught a pass in in which Henry Anderson, who's you know I, I don't know maybe a hundred not not a hundred pounds heavier than him, but considerably heavier than him, uh, tackled him and landed on him. And then you know he was down for a brief moment and kind of shook it off. And the ref looked at him and asked him feels okay. And he jogged off. Uh, but those two hits, uh, c- you know, contributed to the broken rib and the punctured lung. Yeah, just a really tough kid. But he's a kid that you know any team would love to have. I you know I don't know him. I've never met the guy, but just watching him play. And, and kind of tough it out uh, on Sunday uh, was commendable. Uh, you know, that being said, from a Jet perspective, I, I think you're encouraged by Bless Austin, uh, who's playing extremely well, continuing to play extremely well. Uh, and, you know, I, I, look, I'm not a cornerback expert by any stretch of the imagination. I think, however, uh, if you're talking about outside corners, take Brian Poole out of the equation. But if you're talking about outside corners, you can make a, you know, a, a fairly good case that right now the Jets' best cornerback. Is this, uh, is this rookie who's only played, what, uh, uh, less than three games.
1: Manish, now that we talked about the injury to Hunter Renfro, let's talk about the injuries to the Jets, specifically on the offensive line, but all the way around. We will go with the big-ticket item. That's Chuma Adoga. He's going to miss some time. Kelvin Beachum is banged up again. Talk to me about those two and any other injury-related news.
2: Yeah, Chuma left uh, with a, what I understand is a grade-two MCL sprain. Uh, Gase described it as a week-to-week injury that's similar to the information I got, which he's going to miss some time. You know, they've got five games left. I don't know how many of those five games he's going to be healthy for. It would be nice to to have him healthy, if not to start, to at least be, you know, uh, a guy they can rely on in case another guy gets injured. I thought that Brandon Sheldon did a, a really nice job because if you remember, uh, Kelvin Beachum, you know, as you said, he also got hurt. He actually got hurt first when uh, he rolled over. Uh, Deion Jordan, I think it was Deion Jordan when Deion Jordan was laying on the ground, and it was it was Beecham's other ankle. You know he had missed three games uh, due to uh, what I believe was a high ankle sprain, uh, and he kind of toughed it out, came back a little quicker than what people thought. Uh, and then even when he came back, I, I know in that Redskin game, I believe he was kind of shaken up. I'm not, I don't believe he missed any time, but he was he was kind of banged up a little bit. Really tough player, a really tough player. You know, really you know I've I, you know, I spoke to him recently and. Uh, uh, when he came back about you know kind of fighting through that injury uh he's done a really solid job the, the Jets frankly uh, uh, look like a different team with him there because I think there's a comfort level with Sam Darnold you know understanding that he's going to be safe on, on the blind side uh Beecham didn't allow a sack or a pressure the line actually gave up one sack and that really wasn't on them that was a coverage sack uh, uh I think Max Crosby ended up tripping up uh, Darnold but uh that was also the only quarterback hit. The, the, the Jets didn't allow more than one quarterback hit. So as a line, they've been playing much better. But uh, Beecham specifically, uh, you know, no pressures, no sacks. Uh, I think he's only given up three pressures in the, four, uh, the last four games that he has played. The Jets have won all four of those games. Uh, but uh, I, I think they've done a great job, to be honest with you, in pass protection uh, over these past few games. And you know, Shell, again, st- played a few snaps at left tackle when Beecham left for a few moments uh, the other day and then when uh, uh, Indoga got hurt he moved back to his you know his natural position at right tackle uh, you know I don't know how long it's going to take for Indoga to to get healthy but uh, you know I think you can make a reasonable case that Brandon Schell is playing better right now so you keep him in uh, either way it's going to be the seventh starting combination for the offensive line this upcoming week because you've got Tom Compton now at right guard who I think has played pretty well uh, replacing Brian Winters, uh, you know, you do have to – it's not an apples-to-apples comparison because I think a healthy Brian Winters would be a better option, but he clearly was not healthy. He played in excruciating pain with that shoulder injury basically all season. Uh, so when you're comparing, you know, that Brian Winters to a healthy Tom Compton, I think the Jets are doing pretty well at that guard spot. And, I, Scott, you and I have talked about the center position, Brian Khalil getting hurt uh, or, you know, being ineffective, uh, you know, whatever you want to call it, put, ultimately being put on IR – Uh, That uh, actually helped the Jets because I think Jonathan Harrison uh, has played better. Uh, He probably, in hindsight, would have been the the better choice to be the Week One starter. That's all all in hindsight, of course. But uh, it's not—I don't believe the Jets took steps backwards because uh, the center and the right guard were put on IR. Uh, I I actually think that they're playing better, uh, you know, with the guys that they have in there. And uh, you know, it'll probably be. I, I don't want to say easy because nothing's ever easy, especially if you're 4'17. But I, I think they should be able to hold their own against Cincinnati. So that's, that in theory, should be another good game for the offensive line. Uh, it makes all the difference in the world because you already know that Darnold's got good elusiveness and he's got a good ability to move the pocket with his mobility, uh, in functional mobility in and around the pocket. So if the line can, can play like they've been playing these past couple weeks, uh, you know, that gives them an opportunity to, to you know to rack up more wins you know you and I talked about this a few weeks ago before before that giant game. I, I thought there were a lot of wins that were out there for this team. Uh, you know really four bad teams. Uh, you know, I called you know when you look at the Mount Rushmore of Drek in the NFL, you're probably talking about Washington, uh, the Giants, the Bengals, the Dolphins, uh, you know, the Jets are playing, all of those teams during a five-week span and the toughest game that they they played they just had uh, against really you know a quote unquote playoff contender in Oakland but a team that not many people thought was going to do much entering the season they've exceeded expectations but again they're not world beaters that to me was the best team that they're going to face in a five-week stretch uh, I, I would be shocked if they lost in Cincinnati you know barring something really odd and then uh, they've got Miami at home are they really going to get swept by Miami this season I, I don't I don't think that's going to happen so. Uh, it's a good stretch, a good get-well portion for not only the team but the offensive line. And uh, even though they're banged up, uh, you know, at, at the tackle positions, Beecham, I think, is, you know, he's going to give it a go. He obviously came back and played the bulk of the, bulk of that game uh, over the weekend. Um, really, a tough guy, great presence, uh, a guy that Darnold, Gase, other teammates have praised, uh, you know, over the past couple weeks. Uh, he's a guy. You know, I think that kind of sets the tone for that offensive line. And you know, for all the criticism that this line got uh, over the first two months, uh, rightfully so. Uh, but for all that criticism, I think we've got to give them credit when it's due. Uh, they're playing really well right now, and uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see how these last five weeks unfold for this line.
3: Hey guys, Greg Peterson here with the Baseball Betting Podcast. As we know, the MLB season is back in our lives. It's going to be a sixty-game sprint
1: Manish, two fun stories before we move on to this week's game against the Bengals. The first one involves Brian Poole. He had a pick six on Sunday against the Raiders, and apparently he really wants that ball back.
2: Yeah, he started the uh, this hashtag, right? Well, what is it, the f- find Poole pick six or something <laughs> like that? Uh, yeah, it was a big moment in his career. Well, yeah, well, it, it, It's actually pretty funny. When you watch the replay, it's fine. Okay, find Poole pick six. That's, an, that's the official hashtag if you want to. If you want to come clean or, you know, tip off the the jets on who has the ball. Uh, Because as of this recording, I don't believe that Brian Poole has gotten the ball back. But just watching the replays is is pretty funny because he's celebrating uh, with his teammates. He's got the ball outstretched in his left hand. And then somebody from the front row just grabs it uh, from the stands. And I think he's so uh, excited about the moment that he didn't realize that someone took the ball out of his hand. So he continues to celebrate with his teammates as he goes back to the sideline, I think, uh, you know, when he had the chance to think about it. He, he probably wondered, "Hey, what happened to the ball?" <laughs> you know, this is a, a pretty cool moment. Uh, uh, pretty, you know, pretty nice play, athletic play. The one-handed grab off the deflection. Uh, I do want to say that Neville Hewitt deserved a lot of credit on that play. He, he did. He did the dirty work and forced, uh, forced the deflection. Um, and he's been playing great. Maybe that's, that's maybe that's a different discussion. But uh, <laughs> who who would have thought that the Jets? Not only would have missed C.J. Mosley, but then when Neville Hewitt was out, there was a clear void there. And now that Neville Hewitt is back, he's playing really good football. And, uh, uh, you know, I think he made that play. And the pool gets all the credit uh, for getting that one-handed grab. But, uh, yeah, fine pool pick six. Uh, I got a funny email, or really an unusual email the other day, in which there's a New York strip club that's offering the person who stole the ball (laughs) free VIP access to any of their clubs in Manhattan, Free food, free drink. I think that you can get butler service, uh, free VIP access for every jet game for as long as that person is alive. So, if you have the ball and you know you want to get some uh, free strip club access, I guess uh, that's a good incentive to return it, right?
1: I would think so, but then again, I'm not really a big <laughs> strip club guy. So, if you're somebody that likes strip clubs, certainly a fun incentive for you. If you have the ball, you can get yourself some free lap dances, or I don't know exactly what it is they're going to be giving him something, some sort of reward. I would imagine you're for life.
2: Yeah, for life.
1: That's true. I mean, for look life.
2: At, who can turn down that offer? Or-
1: That's a good question. I have plenty of friends that probably wouldn't turn that (laughs) offer down. So if you have that ball and that's something you're interested in, go ahead and return it now. Another fun story that I wanted to talk about involves Jamal Adams. This is one of those stories where on the one hand you think to yourself, why are you doing this, Jamal? And on the other hand, you think to yourself, this is hilarious. So Derek Carr's brother, not David, a different brother, Darren, who I believe is a high school football coach and a teacher – went at Jamal Adams on Twitter, as Jamal Adams was posting a picture of himself hitting Derek Carr from the past he said I'm saving this for later and then after the game Jamal Adams said go ahead and frame it because obviously Adams had another (laughs) half sack so Darren Carr came back at him with a picture of Rob Gronkowski scoring a touchdown pass on Jamal Adams which I'm not sure has anything to do with Derek (laughs) Carr but okay so Jamal Adams went back at him and said you really need to stop living life through your brothers you've got a class to teach tomorrow which to to me it was hilarious. And then Darren Carr came back and said something about how the only reason he isn't playing in the NFL is because he had some sort of heart issue or medical issue. And thanks a lot for bringing that back up. And Jamal Adams said something back to him along the lines of, hey, you use then, T-H-E-N, instead of then, T-H-A-N. What kind of teacher are you? Enjoy your week off from school. So this is one of those where <laughs> I think Darren Carr got in a little over his head. Jamal's Twitter game was just too strong for him. On the one hand, like I said before, this is a situation where you shake your head and say, Jamal, why are you getting involved in something like this on Twitter? But on the other hand, it's hard not to enjoy this.
2: I loved it. You know, and look, I'm partial to, to this because, I, you know, I, I think I know Jamal well enough to know that he's not being serious, and it, it's kind of funny. Uh, I, I think the biggest thing that was uncovered in this back and forth is that there's a third Carr brother. I had no idea that <laughs> that's that Darren Carr even existed. I mean, that's like finding out that there's a fourth Cooper, uh, I mean, I a fourth Manning brother. You know, you know about <laughs> Cooper, and obviously Eli and Peyton, but... Darren Clark just kind of came out of nowhere. I did not even know he existed. Uh, I, I thought it was all good fun. You know, I can't obviously speak to Carr. I think I know uh, Jamal well enough to know that uh, he wasn't taking any of that seriously. And the fact that Jamal went grammar police on, uh, on Carr was, uh, whew, man, I, I didn't expect that. I, I really didn't expect a van and a van. Look, I can, get, I can nitpick, and if I want to go, and I probably will say this to Jamal the next time I see him, I mean, he's got some punctuation errors uh, in his tweets uh, in this back and forth, but that's probably a different discussion for a different time. Uh, I think that uh, as a whole, it was really funny. And as you said, you know, Jamal Adams has a solid Twitter game, and uh, I think he gets the the W on this one. Uh, I got a sense that maybe Darren Carr was a, a little hurt or offended by by some of what Jamal said. I don't know again because I don't know Darren Carr, but. I understand sticking up for your brother. I totally understand that, but not after he gets benched in the third quarter after getting his butt kicked uh, and not at a, you know, a pro bowl player who's playing at a pro bowl level right now. I just thought that was a little weird, but uh, you know, Hey, if you feel the need to defend your brother, then who am I to say you, you shouldn't do that? Uh, but, uh, you know, just as a whole, uh, you know, I was, Texting some people, <laughs> I was texting some people uh, in the organization saying you've got to look at this. Just, just take a look. It's just funny, you know. I, I looked at it as harmless and funny, uh, and uh, <laughs> again, using, the, going with the grammar stuff to me was you know, taking it to a different level of hilarity. I don't know what Darren Carr teaches. It would be pretty funny if he was an English teacher. Uh, I'm unsure about that. I didn't really care enough to delve into it. But uh, yeah, again, look. I didn't think it was serious. I enjoyed it. I'm sure that people who were, uh, you know, taking part of this and taking, like, not taking part of this and just kind of looking from afar uh, had a good time with it. Uh, hopefully Darren Carr had a good time with it because, you know, I'm pretty sure that Jamal Adams was not serious.
1: I'm with you on finding out about the third Carr brother. I also had absolutely no idea that there was a third Carr brother.
2: To me. <laughs> it's Maybe. amazing, right? Maybe there's a fourth Carr brother. Who knows?
1: I'm going to start the search now. Maybe there's a fourth and fifth Carr brother. To me, this is like the Von Erichs. I'm going to make a 1980s wrestling reference. If we would have found out that there was an extra Von Erich brother that we didn't know about all these years, we now would have found out about it. Darren Carr who is a teacher, who would have thought that there was a third car brother. And Jamal Adams made everybody aware very clearly that there's a third car brother, and I bet he wishes he was more anonymous now after what Jamal Adams did to him on Twitter. Manish, let's talk about the matchup coming up on Sunday against the Cincinnati Bengals. And for anybody that's considering going to the game, make sure that you download the Vivid Seats mobile app right now and use the promo code Overtime. You'll get up to 100 bucks off on your very first purchase, which could be that game between the Jets and the Bengals in Cincinnati, or it could be something else. Maybe there's a concert coming to town that you want to see. Maybe there's another sporting event, basketball or hockey. Perhaps you want to go to a wrestling show. Whatever it is you want to do, you can get yourself some really good tickets for it and do it at a discount when you download the Vivid Seats mobile app and use the promo code overtime. You get yourself up to a hundred bucks off on your very first purchase. This is what a lot of people would say is a trap game because the Jets are on a three-game winning streak. The Bengals are still winless. This is a game that's gonna be on the road for the Jets. It is in Cincinnati. And word came out that Andy Dalton is going to be starting in this game which I think is significant because Finley was a rookie that looked like a deer in headlights at times and Andy Dalton, for whatever you want to say about him, is a very capable starter. He's not anything more than that. The guys on the Around the NFL podcast have often referred to him as the NFL's prime meridian of quarterbacks because he's right in that center. (laughs) So if you have a quarterback that's better than Andy Dalton, you're on solid footing. If you don't, you probably need to get a better quarterback so this to me is something that actually works against the Jets because I think that Dalton is still capable of having a good game even though it's been a rough season for him and the Bengals how do you see this thing playing out because on paper there's no reason why the Jets shouldn't win this one but the Bengals even in the games against good teams have come relatively close most of the time and you would think that at home against the Jets team that might be feeling itself a little bit this could have the potential to be a trap game
2: well, I agree that uh, the the quarterback change is a significant move, and I'm not putting Andy Dalton uh, in Canton. Uh, now, he is a former Pro Bowl player, but uh, the Jets, the Jets fans, they've already seen a veteran quarterback who has had success at different points in his career beat them, and that's Ryan Fitzpatrick. So I think that the fact that Dalton was benched was insulting to him, uh, so he could be re-energized, you know, coming off a a three-week vacation, Uh, and clearly, you know, he gives the Bengals, in my estimation, a much better opportunity to actually win a football game the rest of the season than Ryan Finley, who was a complete train wreck. You know, I'm not saying that Dalton is going to light the world on fire, because he hasn't lit the world on fire. He's he's 0-8 this year. I mean, there was a reason he was benched. He wasn't effective, and he wasn't terrible. Uh, I guess, yeah, you know what, statistically he wasn't terrible. I guess he kind of actually was if you watch the games. But he gives them a veteran presence at quarterback. He could be motivated, uh, you know, coming off this layoff. It, it is a home game. Uh, but, uh, this, this offense is, is, is terrible. You know, whether it was Ryan Finley or, uh, Andy Dalton, at least, you know, to this point, they're, I think they're averaging 14 points a game. And it, not that the Jets are that much better statistically. The yards per play is actually completely, like, anemic for both sides. The, the Jets are averaging four and a half yards per play on offense. The Bengals averaging four point eight yards. So both teams are averaging under five yards per play, which could make for a lot of punts. Uh, we'll see what happens. But uh, you know, defensively, you, as you said, look, you know, they they were they've been in games. Uh, you know, they haven't given up that many points the last couple weeks, I believe. But they're dead last in total defense for the season. You know, they give up uh, over four hundred fifteen yards. Uh, if memory serves, I think it's over four fifteen uh, a game. Uh, they give up. I know they give up the most yards per play uh, the, in the league, six and a half yards. So that bodes well for Sam Darnold and Adam Gase. Uh, I, I, I don't think the Jets are going to lose. I, I know you're, what you're talking about with trap game. You know they've got the, the Miami game, and I'm sure they're ticked off. Uh, to, you know after losing to Miami this year, they got that uh, awaiting them. But can a four and seven team, even though they're playing an 0 and 11 team, can a four and seven team, Scott? Really have a trap game? I don't. I don't see it. It's, I don't believe that. Uh, I don't believe that the guys on this team even look at it in those terms, and unless they're you know completely can't handle success. It's been brief success. You know, four wins, three in a row, but but that's not that much success. I know this year it sound, you know, three games might as well be thirteen games, but uh, I, I just you know I I'm not a believer that. They're gonna fall into any kind of you know trap scenario. If they get beat, they're gonna get beat because they got they got outplayed. And I just don't think that that Cincinnati's you know they they've got 11 weeks of a losing mindset ingrained in them. And yeah, I'm sure they're motivated to, to win that first game, but uh, you know I don't see it happening. Uh, you know, there's a reason the Jets are three and a half point road favorites. Uh, but uh, clearly, I think that if it's gonna happen, uh, it's gonna happen with Andy Dalton that quarterback. Because if Ryan Finley was a quarterback, I I put everything I own. I'd call up my, you know, my money manager and put everything I own on the Jets winning that game. But with, uh, you know, with Andy Dalton, there is a little bit of doubt uh, there. Uh, you know, would it surprise me if the Bengals won? Yes, uh, it, it would surprise me. But, uh, but I guess you never know. You know, I, they they clearly get their best opportunity with uh, with a veteran player who's had, you know, pockets of uh, really good success in his career. Uh, you know, I, I don't think I don't think it's going to happen. Uh, maybe if if AJ Green had been healthy for the last few weeks and been playing well, uh, you know that could add even a different wrinkle. But I don't suspect AJ Green's going to even play. He hasn't played all season. I don't even know if he's practicing yet. So I, I don't see it happening. Uh, you know, Joe Mixon, terrific talent. Uh, there's not going to be many opportunities for him to to find holes and do much against the you know the NFL's best run defense either.
1: Manish, I guess it's a good thing that Finley's not playing because now instead of taking all the money you have and betting it on the Jets, you can use it to give yourself a really nice Thanksgiving, which is what I hope you and your family have. So I hope this Thanksgiving is a great one for you, your family, your friends, and whoever you're spending it with. In the meantime, while we wait for Thanksgiving to come, why don't you go ahead and let us know what you've got cooking over in the Daily News? Well, you
2: know... In addition to spending time with my family, and, and first and foremost, Scott, I hope you enjoy your holidays as well. I, and as far as the Jets fans go, uh, as we said when we kicked off the podcast, it's a great time. It's you know it's a holiday week. They're riding high. They're playing a winless team. It can't get much better for the fan base. Uh, I think I'll take a look at the offensive line. You know, we, we touched on all the reasons why you know things are you know trending up and why they're peaking right now. Uh, they're peaking at the right time. And again, it's a it's a maligned unit, a unit that got. Criticized heavily all season, uh, and uh, I think that the fact that they're playing well, you know, deserves, uh, you know, deserves some praise, and it's something that uh, I think we should discuss and write about and talk about moving forward.
1: Go ahead and read Manish's columns in the Daily News. Follow him on Twitter at meta n y d n, and for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. It's turn on the Jets digital and turn on the jets